Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie, it's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, this is pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Locked On Trailblazers, your daily Portland Trailblazers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to a May 25th. Thursday edition of the Locked On Blazers podcast. I'm your host, Eric Garcia Gunderson, a writer at many places these days. Uh, former Blazer beat writer from the Vancouver Columbian. Welcome back to the show. Hope you enjoyed the season review of the cleaners the other day. Uh, the NBA group uh, of podcasts on the Locked On Podcast Network is doing lots of great stuff right now. Obviously, there's only three teams left in the in the NBA playoffs. I'm recording this right now. Uh, the Cavs-Celtics game is pretty close to uh, getting going here. I think the Cavs are going to win. I think the Cavs are going to take care of that series. Obviously, you can take this clip and send it to freezing cold takes if uh, if you want. If the Cavs end up losing this game to Boston, I don't think that they will. There are three teams left. We have podcasts for all of those. If you want to get the inside scoop, the local angle on the finals or the, the conference finals, we got Locked On Cavs, Locked On Warriors, Locked on Celtics, of course. So we have all the all the wide variety of uh, of podcasts on the network covering the NBA, and of course all the others that are like us, reviewing the season that was, and slowly but surely ramping up into draft coverage. Draft coverage for Locked On Blazers will begin next week. Really looking forward to that. Uh, we will have draft discussion in many forms with different opinions from people that I talk to and respect their opinion on the draft and college basketball players and all that stuff. So very excited for that stuff to come out. But obviously, we have a lot of great stuff on the network that you should definitely check out, the Locked On Podcast Network. As I mentioned, the last show that we had was the season review of The Cleaners, Al Farouk and Maurice Harkless kind of reviewing how they played how they improved or if they took a step back which was the case with Aminu at least statistically uh so hope hope you enjoyed that we're going to continue our review today we're going to do 
the starting centers for the Blazers this season. I'm not going to count Noah Vonley and the games that he started at center. Uh, just going to count the two guys that uh, were in there the most this season. So Mason Plumley, who is no longer with the team, will do a little review on what he did with the Blazers this season. Since he, you know, he was an important part of that team uh, last year that won and went uh, had a had a nice little playoff run. Uh, and obviously, he played more games than, Nur- than Nurkic, so uh, you know his performance was relevant to the Blazers this season, uh, and of course Nurkic. Uh, and we'll dig a little bit deeper into some stats and all that stuff on both of those guys. Uh, quick news update: kind of the only uh, bit of real news, uh, other than you know we haven't heard any new things about guys that are or have worked out with the Blazers yet. Uh, for what it's worth, they have in recent years been a little bit more mum on who they bring in. It's not uh, announced as much. I remember uh, one time we interviewed, uh, we were there for a draft workout, and one of the guys was that was there told us that he had been in for a workout before that nobody knew about. So um, they may conduct a lot of, you know, we'll see. You know, they haven't had a first-round pick in a while, and... Uh, well, they have, they have, it's not that they haven't had a first round pick in a while. They just didn't have one last year. So, uh, you know, they're going to have draft workouts. Ones we hear about and ones we won't probably, uh, is how I guess is how I guess that they're going to do it. So, um, that's going to start coming out hopefully soon. I think, uh, June, usually they start to ramp up with that stuff. Obviously, uh, I think we're less than a month away from the NBA draft now. So, uh, we're going to start hearing about that stuff, but uh, we have some news to get to. Uh, we don't have any new updates. All the guys that are going to come in for drafts that the Blazers are interested in, all that stuff that came from the Combine is what we have to work with right now. Uh, the only bit of news uh, in Blazerland is the Baltimore Sun reported the other day that the Baltimore Orioles are still interested in having Pat Connaughton uh, be in their organization. Uh, they believe he has uh, a future. I think they're still holding out hope that maybe he'll give up on uh, his NBA career to pursue baseball. Uh, he is a, a really good pitcher. Uh, that's what he got drafted for. And according to Dan Duquette of the Orioles, this is from the Baltimore Sun. Uh, the Orioles believe he has a good future in baseball. Duquette said he's a terrific athlete, has a world of talent, a good competitor. So whenever he wants to apply his skills full time, I think he can come quick to the major leagues because he's such a gifted athlete. You hear that a lot of times when you hear people talk about baseball. I mean, you see it with Tim Tebow, guys that are really athletic and just apply themselves to baseball have a really good chance at succeeding in baseball. So uh, that's obviously, I, I think that's the logic that uh, the Orioles are using on trying to get their guy to join the team. Obviously, uh, they believe in him. They think he has uh, a future as a prospect. It And it seems to me that they are you know, at least publicly still trying to get him. Now, uh, Connaughton, the, the lead of that story in the Baltimore Sun, uh, referenced Connaughton going on MLB Network Radio talking about 
whether he would come back. And the quote that they have from him is that he said he's not going to unrealistically chase a dream if it appears that that dream is getting farther and farther away. Now, obviously, uh, going to the minor leagues would not be, uh, you know, that that's that's a lot less money than what Connaughton is making now. He is also due $1.4 million next season uh, if the Blazers decide to bring him back. That is $1.4 million non-guaranteed. One of the other things, too, to keep in mind, perhaps another team is interested in him. Maybe the Blazers try and send him that way and uh, and use him as salary filler for a trade because he does have salary and a team, if they want to get rid of him, can just can just do do just that they can just let him go uh so uh i i don't necessarily see just because of the glut of wings the blazers have and the need that they have for guys that i think to be a little bit bigger than Connaughton, guys that are that help make up more for the lack of size that their backcourt has. And I just don't necessarily think that, you know, Connaughton is going to be that guy. Uh, So because of that, because of the fact that his salary is non-guaranteed and the Blazers can just get rid of it and they're already going to be in the luxury tax next season, I find it unlikely that he is going to be on the team. However, uh, he could be. Maybe they still deal him. Who knows? Uh, Maybe they deal him before the draft. Uh, maybe if they make a draft day trade, he could be a guy I could see being moved, uh, to make deal, you know, to make a, to make a deal work. I'm not sure, but, but that is an option for him. I think that, uh, is more likely than him being back on the Blazers. And that's purely speculative. That's not any inside information, but just looking at their salaries, looking at their future, looking at what they need. I think that that is, uh, probably what will happen. And if you want to see what happens at, uh, maybe maybe you're in the Bay Area, and maybe maybe or in Cleveland, maybe, and you want to go see the NBA Finals. I, obviously, that's not everyone. It's probably not a lot of folks listening to this. But uh, if you want to do that, or if you're in the Northwest, you want to hit up a, a Mariners game or a Timbers game, or you want to go to a cool outdoor concert. Those are happening, and you want to be there and see it instead of hearing about it from your friends or seeing. Uh, videos of it on social media of all the fun that they had you can get tickets and be there yourself and the best way to get there and see it for yourself is SeatGeek. buying tickets online for sports and concerts has been a confusing process for a long time always been hard to find that best deal and none of the older ticket sites want to change that but SeatGeek is different they pull together all of the best ticket sites and they create an amazing experience on their app and on their website to make it easier than ever for fans to buy and sell tickets SeatGeek is the first place that I go to look for tickets. It's the first place that I tell people to look for when they're looking for tickets. And in my experience, it's very easy, very streamlined process. And they help you find the best deal by aggregating multiple ticket sites to find the best deal. They rank them with their deal score from 1 to 100. And the best thing about it is that you save money and time by using SeatGeek. But that's not the best thing about SeatGeek for you. My listeners get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. And to get that $20 rebate, 
on tickets, download the SeatGeek app, go to the pro, go to the settings tab, and click add a promo code and enter promo code LOBLAZERS and SeatGeek will send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. Download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code LOBLAZERS today. So we had our news update on Pat Connaughton and the Baltimore Orioles. So let's get into our season in review on the, the Blazers' starting centers, Mason Plumley and Yusuf Nurkic. We will start with Plumley since that is uh, the more chronological order of things uh, on the starting center situation. A little breakdown of Plumlee's season. Uh, in uh, some, some more granular terms, I think, because he, he has had really good numbers before. Uh, his rookie season in Brooklyn was actually very good when you look at his per-minute production. Uh, and... Before he got traded, and actually at the end of the season, he ended up with you know career highs in points per game, uh, lots of great stuff. But I, I kind of want to dive into the numbers a little bit deeper. So uh, yeah, he had a career high in points per game. Uh, he his per- percentage wasn't as good as I mentioned. He had really good seasons uh, in terms of efficiency when he was in Brooklyn in limited minutes as a backup. So uh, he may not match those numbers uh, again. We'll see. Uh, His rookie season in Brooklyn was pretty efficient in a small sample and small minutes, small role. But uh, when you go, you dig a little bit deeper, one of the things he tried to do this season was kind of expand his offensive game. And to his credit, I think he did that. Uh, His scoring in the post area uh, was improved improved quite a bit. I I think uh, it, this season his efficiency from three to ten feet, which is right around that post area, improved from thirty four point two percent last year to thirty nine point six percent overall. He shot thirty seven percent or almost thirty eight percent in Portland uh, on those shots from three to ten feet. Uh, the other thing that he did that he didn't work so well was his trying to expand his game into the mid range with a mid range jumper, a jump shot from about 10 to 16 feet and even a little deeper. Sometimes he really tried to experiment with that. Uh, you know, maybe one day if he works on it again this summer, maybe it becomes, uh, something that's part of his game as he, as he ages, but th- this past season, the experiment didn't work. Now, it's not to say that this won't work, because I, I remember one example of a player like this who tried to show a skill and it was really bad before it got good was Wesley Matthews. Matthews, I remember when he was posting up a lot uh, the first year that I started covering the team, uh, when it was Aldridge, and it was basically just Aldridge, it was the Aldridge Batum. Matthews, Dame was the rookie, and then they had J.J. Hickson, and Myers Leonard was young, and, uh, you know, all, all those guys. Will Barton was young. But I remember Matthews tried to post up a lot that season, and it was not very efficient for a lot of the year. But uh, eventually he did learn to get that into his game, and eventually when the Blazers got good, it was a pretty reliable source of points. Uh, but... I don't know if that's going to be there with Plumley. As I mentioned, he tried to expand his game there, uh, and he shot 32% uh, 
from 10 to 16 feet and 25% from 16 feet plus. And he almost tripled his output on mid-range jumpers while he was in Portland. He shot 17% of his shots from the longer mid-range areas, which according to basketball reference, that's from 10 feet to the three-point line. And last year he shot only 6% of his shots from that distance. So, uh, and, and he also shot 10% of his shots from beyond 16 feet. So he really did try to incorporate that into his game. Uh, and despite those bad numbers, it actually didn't hurt his effective field goal percentage and his true shooting percentage from last year, which those two numbers, uh, effective field goal percentage incorporates the value of three pointers. If you are not aware and true shooting percentage is, uh, a combination of three point shooting, field goal shooting and, and, and free throw shooting. So, or, and so this is actually the best he's played or the best he shot from an efficiency standpoint since his rookie year. Uh, so Plumley, you know, I, I think I mentioned this when he had the trade, you know, he actually did improve this year uh, on the offensive end. I thought he really gave, uh, Portland some good stuff there and his rim protection numbers while he was in Portland were also very good. It was just, uh, either the way he, he went about it or, and I think too, just, he, he did, he just lacked certain things that this particular team needed. And I think that that eventually, uh, you know, kind of eroded the improvements that he made was that he wasn't doing enough of the other things that they needed him to do to just be a winning basketball team. Uh, the Blazers were worse on the floor defensively by over three points per 100 possessions when Plumlee was on the floor. Second straight season that that happened. Obviously, it hurts him that he, when he's off the floor, a lot of times the Blazers were going against second unit offenses and a lot of backups. And he also shared the court with Lillard a lot. However, when Nurkic arrived, we saw Lillard's plus minus on defense improve quite a bit. So, uh, and and I think the just the way that uh, Nurkic contested shots uh, and also helped the team grab more defensive rebounds, I think, were, were really points. We'll get to that in a little bit. But uh, I, I just think the, the the thing with Plumlee was he, he improved on the offensive end marginally, but he just didn't do it in ways that helped the Blazers win games. And one of the biggest places where he actually regressed quite a bit for the Blazers was on the offensive glass. Uh, his offensive rebound rate dropped from 10.4 last year to 8.8. Blazers overall as a team saw their offensive rebounding dip considerably and he improved his defensive rebound defensive rebounding by only 0.5%. So just wasn't really he wasn't doing enough on the defensive end of the glass to really make up for his lack of offensive rebounding which I know that Terry Stotts doesn't go out of his way to emphasize it because he would rather his team get back on defense. But Portland's big men last year were just better at grabbing offensive rebounds. And I think that was a big reason that they were getting second shots. They were getting more attempts. And so, I and and with their turnover problems last year, they definitely needed that. But I just think the, those second chance threes, those times when the defense crashes in and you kick it out for a three, 
I mean, that was the Robin Lopez special when he was in town. And and the Blazers need that from their starting center. They don't need their wings to crash the boards, but they do need their center to get some offensive rebounds. And uh, Plumlee just really lacked the ability or the willingness to do that. Maybe him trying to expand his game out into the mid-range took him away from the paint. I'm not sure exactly the reasons why Plumlee uh, dropped off on the offensive glass. But it, it, it hurt the Blazers, in my opinion. Uh, another thing, he was in the 49th percentile in pick and roll as a Blazer. Uh, unfortunately, one of the weird things that I found in researching this podcast was that NBA Stats uh, does not have updated stats for Nurkic and Plumlee in the pick and roll. So, But while he was in Portland, he was in the 49th percentile, which is not good. Uh so Plumlee, uh, he obviously then the season uh, for him with the Blazers culminated in him getting traded for Nurkic at the deadline. Nurkic also, or Plumlee also did get the Blazers another first round pick. So uh, shout out to him for that. And uh, then he uh, slotted into a backup role in Denver where I think he performed pretty well. Just, you know, the Nuggets played pretty well down the stretch of the season, but uh, the Blazers just played better. Uh, and so Plumlee, uh, that was his season in review. Now he's with the Nuggets. Now he's a free agent. Uh, and it's funny because, well, not funny for him, but I think he might actually get less money on the open market than his brother did, Miles Plumley, who signed a big deal uh, last summer. I think he might actually get less because it seems like, and and we know this here too, the, the cap spike last year really resulted in a lot of inflated salaries. And now it, it, the rumblings are that a lot of teams have buyer's remorse and, and that a lot of those price tags are going to come way down for a lot of players. I mean, you saw how much all the, how, how much money all of the centers got last year. Jan Mahinmi, Mozgov, you name it. Guys that uh, have no business really, you know, being paid that much in, in the NBA today, uh, you know, got that money. And I just don't think... You know, uh, I know Portland needed to get rid of Plumlee, and I think it was the right move because now they have Nurkic at a fixed, cheap cost for at least another year. But it's, it, it, you know, it kind of sucks for, for guys that are becoming free agents this year, I think. Plumlee and Plumlee being one of them. And and the fact that his his own brother, I think, got $12 million per year. Uh, the fact that his own brother may get paid more than him is pretty wild when I think the consensus is that Mason is the better of the Plumleys. So uh, that's that's an interesting uh, nugget, I, I guess, at the end there. But it'll be interesting to see what Plumley gets in free agency as a member of the Denver Nuggets and what the Nuggets decide to do with him because uh, he's a restricted free agent. So that opens up a whole new can of worms. And I... First of all, they have Jokic, which is great, and he's going to be their starter. And if they're going to sign Plumlee, they're going to sign him to be their backup. Then the other thing is they have the the Hernan Gomez kid, uh, Wancho Hernan Gomez, who's who's cool. I like I, I like him. Uh, and so, uh, you know, they it kind of have a weird situation there in Denver where they may be forced to pay Plumlee. 
even though they may not actually need him. Uh, but hey, uh, I hope, uh, you know, hope he gets paid, uh, hope, hope he gets that contract. He, he had a, a nice little run here in Portland. So, uh, that's the Mason Plumley season in review. We will move on to the man who stole Portland's heart, Yusuf Nurkic. Nurkic's 20 game run with the Blazers both confirmed some stuff that we thought about him and also just blew away a ton of other perceptions about him. Uh, he was kind of a sensation when he was a rookie. Uh, if you've listened to the podcast that I've had with Corbin Smith, we've talked about that before. When Nurkic came into the league, you know, it was everyone was like, man, who is this guy? He's, he's kind of, you know, he's kind of cool. He doesn't care. Like, he's, he's out here just posting guys up and ready to roll and just ready to play and ready to push guys around. He's And he, he was that guy when he was a rookie. But then... Uh, he gets hurt. Jokic comes. Jokic is amazing, and then you know they and they tried to make it work. Jokic went to the bench. Nurkic started, but he got unhappy. He was he he he. Everyone in Denver, you know, they'll tell you he got out of shape, even though he came into camp probably in the best shape of his life. But then he put on a bunch of extra weight after Jokic kind of emerged and. Uh, there's no way around it. He didn't take that well, but I don't think that that's ever going to happen in Portland. I don't think they're going to bring in another center to potentially be the guy behind him when they can maybe negotiate an extension this summer. They already have him at a cheap cost. And, uh, I think the, the team really liked playing with him and just the impact that Nurkic had was just so incredible in that 20 game sample that, uh, to even think about replacing him, I think would be really irresponsible right now. So uh, I don't think we're going to see any situations like that. You know, the Portland may draft uh, a guy that can play center in this draft, but I, I don't necessarily, I don't necessarily see that player being a threat, and I wouldn't see him that player, you know, being a threat to Nurkic. Maybe they get another small ball center, a guy that is maybe more adept to playing the way that the league is going. But I think that when Nurkic is out there, he's quick enough that, you know, he has the perception as, you know, a huge dude, but he's very nimble and very light on his feet. And the way he moves in space, you know, gives me uh, a little bit of encouragement that he could play in a scenario against uh, Draymond Green at the five. Would it be great? Would he be able to go out there all the time? Probably not, but uh, you know he may be light enough on his feet to play a lot, and and he could be a big man that could you know stay on the court against quick teams. But I think the Blazers do need to have you know they have Noah Vonleh that can play that small ball role as a center, and and they may they may draft another guy like that, but I don't think they're going to draft another guy that plays the same way Nurkic does, which I think is why the Jokic thing didn't work out so well because when you see Nurkic in Portland he's catching the ball at the high post he's setting pick he's setting screens he's rolling hard he can post up and and he likes to create with the ball in his hands and that is what Jokic does I mean Jokic was the fulcrum of one of the best offenses in the league but it's just how, how is that going to work in the modern NBA it just won't they're both two big guys Jokic uh still not in great shape yet uh and, and Nurkic, uh, 
I think they just play too similarly to really ever work out. So, you know, and this is one of the oldest tropes in NBA history. Frustrated guy with a lot of talent gets stuck behind a guy who's extremely talented and takes his spot. or And then that player gets shipped off for pennies on the dollar. And then they become a, a star and break out with their new team. This happens in the NBA. It's like it's as it's the it's a tale as old as the league, as old as trades. So uh and I and I wrote about uh Nurkic for Real GM and, and the impact that he has, and I think uh it's gonna be huge. But let's get into the statistics of it. Uh he was solid as an offensive rebounder during his time in Denver. That's one of the things that we did know about him before he came in. And it wasn't Ed Davis 2015-16 levels where he was one of the best offensive rebounders in the league, but it was way better than what Plumlee provided this season. And just for comparison's sake, uh, a couple of numbers to throw at you here. When Nurkic was on the court, the Blazers' team offensive rebound percentage was 28.3, and when Plumlee was on the court, their team offensive rebounding percentage was 24.8. So a difference of over 4%, uh, 4.5%, so nearly 5, really. So that's quite a, that's a huge jump. That is a major gap. In that stat, that is major. Uh, and then on the defensive end of the glass, when Nurkic was on the court, the Blazers grabbed 77.3% of available defensive rebounds, and with Plumlee, they only grabbed 75. So, again, another big leap there on the glass as a team. And I think that, uh, you know, a lot of folks focused on, you know, his rim protection and the the, the, sh- the shots that teams missed uh, at the three-point line uh, w- during that run. But they were also just grabbing the rebounds that were there that they weren't grabbing. And that matters because those are possessions and possessions lead to points. So when I think it was, I read the the ringers piece about it, which, you know, they had brought up a lot of good points like three point percentage being and three point percentage being kind of a fluky stat, uh, at, at least to some statisticians, you know, maybe that was the thing that led to Portland's, improved defensive rating but I really think that those people are kind of overlooking one of the basic tenets of basketball and that is rebounding and Nurkic was uh very helpful in that regard the Blazers really improved on the glass on both ends and uh I think that was a one of the biggest reasons why Portland made the leap that they did made the run that they did to get in the playoffs when they looked dead in the water another thing that well, not another thing. One of the things that surprised a lot of people was Nurkic's passing ability. I mentioned that him and Jokic kind of play a lot alike, and at least in when Nurkic was in Portland, that was true. Uh, he assisted on 17.7% of the possessions he was out there for, so in the in those 20 games, and while he was in Denver in 45 games, he only had an assist rate of 11.1. So his assist rate jumped almost seven points from Denver to Portland. So at least statistically, he was a much more unselfish player. It looks like when he was in Portland Uh, as a team, the Blazers actually had a lower assist ratio with Nurkic as opposed to uh, Nurkic, as opposed to Plumlee. But 
you know, maybe, you know, assist ratio is not that important because I think for this Blazers team, not to say that's not important, but maybe for this team, I just don't necessarily know if that's what they needed out of their center. And to me, Nurkic, just from a utility standpoint, just did things that I think were more useful to Portland's success than uh, Plumlee's stat stuffing on the assist board. And I think that uh, you need your big man to rebound, you need your big man to set big screens, and you need your big man to roll and suck in the defense. And occasionally, you know, and the the bonus about Nurkic is that occasionally he can create his own shot out of the post. So, uh, but you, what you really need out of your modern big man in the NBA these days sets good, set good screens, roll hard, and rebound. And 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 Nurkic did that. Plus, protect the rim and do a bunch of other stuff. And uh, you know, a lot of Nurkic's success in Portland came around the basket, but he actually shot a lower percentage around the basket in Portland than he did in Denver and from an offensive standpoint as a scorer the biggest difference for him came in jump shooting volume and efficiency he shot 39% on long twos which is really good i i you know it, it, it it's beneath the league average but for a big man and for him especially it was really good cuz uh he shot 23.5% on the same shots in Denver, and maybe it's because he had more freedom to shoot them. In Portland, uh, nearly 12% of his shots were long twos, as opposed to just 6% in Denver. So he doubled his output on those shots, and overall, he's a 36% shooter on those long twos. But maybe, you know, he's he's only 23, so, you know, if, if he can shoot consistently and, and get that mid-range jumper in the 40s, you know, that's that's real dangerous. If he can shoot that mid-range jumper in the 40s, that is a huge deal for them. You know, that is, you know, obviously it's not peak LaMarcus, so that, that, but just to him to shoot average on that shot as the center would be great because that would be a major leap, at least in terms of threat level, from Plumlee, who... Uh, was was just terrible uh, on that end. Uh, just for comparison's sake, uh, again, on those uh, long twos, he shot 32% from 10 to 16 feet and 25% from 16 feet plus. So Nurkic shot 14% better. Sorry for the math taking me so long, but he shot 14% better on long twos than Plumlee did. And if he can build on that, you know, that's that's a real great skill. Could he maybe stretch it out to three uh, and go Mehmet Okur? Maybe. Uh, but he seems to have that ability, uh, and I think that's encouraging. But uh, to me, where Plum- Nurkic obviously also had the confidence and the brashness which is something that I wrote about in my real GM piece about him that I think is is something that often goes overlooked that he just is like I'm here I'm going to put it down and I'm going to do it and and he does it and 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 he believes it he puts it in the air he he has that confidence that CJ and Dame have and I think that that is incredibly important because all NBA players do have confidence to a certain level, but I think the way Nurkic goes about it, I think it energizes people. I think it makes them believe, and I think uh, it also just kind of juices him up and gets him juiced for the occasion. And I think that 
you know, as long as he's healthy, which, you know, uh, all signs are pointing to he should be at the start of the season, things are, are going to go well. And the, the, I talked about it a lot. Uh, it probably I'm not going to go into it too much. Just the impact that he had on everybody else's plus minus. I talked about Dame, but you know Noah Vonleh was long negative when he was on the court for the Blazers, and then when Nurkic came, his plus minus went through the roof. Uh, the impact that Nurkic had on everybody else, uh, you know, everyone was shooting. Everyone was shooting better in March. Everyone was playing harder defense. All this stuff, and and Nurkic had a lot to do with that. And I think. Uh, it was a combination of Nurkic doing things that big men need to do and then also going a little bit above and beyond at times. And so uh, I, I, I think uh, the future is very bright at the center position for the Blazers, at least at the starting center spot. And uh, yeah, Nurkic fever was a great moment. He obviously you know, had huge games. Uh, the OKC game when he had... I can't even remember the stat line anymore, but it was like 29 and 24 or something. And then he had a career high against the Nuggets in that in that uh, closeout game. He did some things that we haven't seen a big man do in a really long time since since Aldridge. And and and, and the way he captivated people is something that I can't I, I can't really remember in in recent times as a big man. Maybe Sabonis, but you know I was. I was pretty I was pretty young when when Sabonis was was happening, so I, I can't really speak to that. But at least in in the modern times, you know, since uh, those Rasheed Wallace teams, and even then, you know, there was a, kind of a conflicted relationship between Rasheed Wallace and his fan base at the time. I don't you know I don't know if a big man has ever made you know people fall in love like that the way Nurkic has. So. Uh, and, and not just fall in love, but, but produce the way he has. And that combination has kind of eluded Portland for a long time. So uh, very exciting finish to the season, I think, uh, at the center position. And I think that's going to do it. Hope you enjoyed this. Uh, going to continue doing this for uh, the rest of the team. We'll be doing them in groups. We'll have the young big men. Uh, we'll have the, 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 the wings on the bench. Uh so, you know, Turner, Crab, and then and then the rest of the young guys like Lehman, Connaughton, Shabazz. Uh, so we'll keep going through all those guys. Um, I guess we'll touch on Tim Quarterman since he, he was on the team and did play a little bit. But um, we're going to continue doing the season in review. But we are also going to, re, we're going to vamp, ramp up our draft coverage in the coming week. So enjoy the Memorial Day weekend. Hopefully, where you are, it is sunny. It will be nice. Uh, And so, hopefully, you get to enjoy the long weekend. Uh, So, uh, enjoy the Memorial Day weekend. And we'll see you next week here on Locked On Blazers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. You can subscribe to the show on all of the places that you get podcasts. Leave us a five-star review. And we'll catch you next week. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99, and our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details.